very special speaker I get to introduce now is just a real dear friend of mine, a real mentor in my life and ministry, and uh, he's been at our house for the last few days and just having some fun together. And um, I met him in 1998 when I was at University of Richmond, and he told me that I could be part of a ministry where you could try to stuff as many marshmallows in your mouth as possible, where you could dress up like popular movie characters and do impressions of them for Christ and get to reach kids for the gospel. And I thought, man, that's perfect for me. I'm not very mature still, (laughs) and this will work great. So um, Pat Cummings uh, has just been a a great friend to me. At that time in 98, he was the area director in a place called Chesterfield County in in Virginia and uh, part of an organization called Young Life, which seeks to train leaders who reach out to unchurched kids for Christ and then help them, help equip them to reach their friends for Christ. It's been around, guys, for like 60 years. It was started by a guy named Jim Rayburn. And almost around that time, maybe a decade after it was started, my mom, my mother, came to trust Christ through a Young Life camp in Colorado. And then about 25 years later, my sister came to trust Christ at the same Young Life camp. So you can see it's been just a huge impact in mine and my family's life, and uh, our family's kind of been part of Young Life ever since, so um, that's why Pat's here. Um, In the Caribbean, Young Life has started to make inroads to reach teenagers for Christ over the last two years, and we really want to get one potentially started if it's God's will here in Cayman, and maybe even God might call Sunrise to be a part of that, I don't know. So I'm going to call him up there. If you can give him a big hand, I'll pray for him. Thank you, Pat, for coming. Thank you, bro. Appreciate you. Father, thank you for my brother here. Um, again, just uh, thank you for people you put in our lives to encourage us in Christ and to teach us how to disciple, so disciple others in Christ. And thank you for this man who's just been one of those guys. Um, we pray this morning that you would use him to encourage us likewise, to encourage us as followers of you who might be inspired to make more followers of you. Um, We love you. We ask this all in your name and with the help of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. I'll just slip this into my pocket and we're good to go. Thank you. Uh, No, as Ryan said, uh, I, I work for Young Life. I've worked for him for, gosh, almost 30 years now. I worked five years for a church in Williamsburg, Virginia. I was the uh, minister of community there, and I did small groups and such. But my time in Young Life has really been incredible. Uh, I grew up as a, as a kid who went to church every Sunday. That was just my family's tradition. And I kind of just deducted from that that I was a Christian because I wasn't Jewish or Hindu or Buddhist. And so by default, I was a, a Christian. But, uh, and I also believed and I knew that Jesus died for all of us. But it wasn't until I was a sophomore in high school, uh, about 15 years old, where I heard for the first time, not, not that I didn't hear it before, but I perceived for the first time that Jesus died for me. And it just changed everything. I walked into a Young Life Club one night that happened to be at my house. I had a sister who was older. And she asked if we could have Young Life at our house, and my dad said, sure. And I said, I'm not going to that. That sounds stupid. And he goes, you're hosting 
you know, with your sister, you're going to be there. And when I, when I got there, I got there after uh, soccer practice, football, uh, as you would call it here, I think. But I, I showed up, and my, my living room was full of about 150 teenagers, and I couldn't believe any of these people would go to a religious thing. I was just, what in the world are these people doing here? And I noticed that there was a, a, a large number of good-looking girls. And I thought to myself, this might be my kind of club. And so, uh, but from the moment that the thing kind of started, and they started with singing, and I'm not much of a singer, it just captured my heart. And uh, ever since, I, I, I went to Young Life Camp that summer, and I surrendered my life to Christ. I began my relationship with Him. I met Him personally, and I know Him. And for, gosh, almost 40 years, Ryan, Ryan said that Young Life's 60-some years old. It's actually going to turn 75 years old in two years. It's not young anymore. Uh, and, and being 56, I, I don't know why I'm still in it because I'm definitely not young anymore. But I wanted to ask the question, what now? That's, that's my sermon title is, what, what now? And I'm, we're going to look at uh, John chapter 21. Unfortunately, I'm using the uh, NIV translation of the Bible, and you guys are using the EVS, is that right? ESV. Uh, I was going to use one, but the print is too small, and, and I've got a large print Bible, so when I read, I'm not going to read right now, but when I do read, I'll be reading from the NIV, you can follow along. Uh, but I wanted to start out, this, this passage in John 21 is a fish story. There are several fish stories in the, in the Bible, uh, one that probably a lot of you might know about is the Jonah story, a guy, he didn't go fishing, he was actually swallowed by a fish. Uh, but in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke uh, talk about three fish stories in the beginning of their Gospels. And it was when Jesus and some of the disciples, his followers, these friends of his, got to know each other for the first time, and it involved fishing. This one is at the end of the Gospel of John, and uh, it's, it's just an amazing fish story that I want to share with you. But first, one of the things we believe in young life is that you need to win the right to be heard. And to be honest with you, I don't have that much time. Uh, Ryan told me he only speaks for about 15 or 20 minutes on Sundays, and then he's done. He keeps it really short. He told me that. No, he, I, that's, I'm much more comfortable going about that length, and so uh, I'll be quick here. But uh, I wanted to tell a couple fishing stories of my own so you could get to know me a little bit. Uh, how many people here like to fish? Raise your hand. Show of hands. You know about half or a third, you know. I, I don't know why, but I've loved fishing all my life, and it might have come from a, an experience. I was born in Wyoming. If you don't know U.S. geography, it's kind of western and northern. It's a square state, uh, and it's a, it's a big, big place. Uh, and in the southeast corner between Cheyenne, where I was born, and Laramie, where the University of Wyoming is, is a mountain range called Snowy Range. And we were driving from Cheyenne to Laramie, and we went over uh, Snowy Range, and there was this beautiful creek that fed into a lake. And as we were walking along, I was kind of in the creek. I, was, I, I had to be either 8 or 10 years old. We go every other year. 
back from the east to visit our relatives and such. And I'm walking through the creek, and I look down, and there on top of a rock in the creek is a trout that's about this big. And it's just, at first I thought it was dead. And I reached down and picked it up, and it was alive. It started, and I'm, you know, trying to catch it, and it's slipping, and it jumps back in. But I thought, gosh, I, I, I missed it. I could have caught that great trout with my bare hands. I would have been like an American Indian, you know, just caught him so amazing. But I think that developed my love for fishing. And later on that week, we fished in Jackson Hole Lake, and I remember catching a trout, and it didn't bite my hook. I snagged it about halfway up in my reel, and when I reeled it up to the boat, the line was wrapped around it, and I pulled it into the boat, and I ate it later on that day. We cooked it. It was wonderful. Uh, Another memorable fish experience for me was when I was a freshman in college. I went down from Maryland, where I went to high school, down to Florida to college, and I was going to Flagler College. Many of you probably know it as the Harvard of the South. It's, it's a great, no, that's, it's, it's really the only college I could get into. Uh, and once again, in keeping with my idea about why Young Life was good, it had 400 girls and 200 guys. And so the odds were in my favor. And I, if you knew me at all, and you, you, know, you know I need all the help I can get with, with women. Uh, but so I, uh, I, I'm, I'm playing soccer there. And the first day after practice, we had two long practices that day. And then the guys on the team, all of them were 18 and over. And the drinking age in, floor, in, uh, in, in the U.S. then was, was 18. And so they all said, well, let's go out to the pier, uh, the, the Sheridan Hotel there, and let's go to the bar. And I was 17 years old. Uh, I, I was young for my freshman year. And so I went with them thinking, oh, I look old enough. I can just get in. No, the, the bouncer at the door checked my ID and said, you can't come in. So I walked out to the pier, and there were some fishermen on the pier fishing, you know, from maybe 30 feet above the water. And this one fisherman, all of a sudden, you hear his line just, and he starts cranking it in, and the pole's all bent over, and it's a big, thick, strong pole. And then he walks down off the pier, down to the beach, and I follow him, and he drags up a 13-foot hammerhead shark right onto the beach. And I'm thinking to myself, I will never swim in this area. But I'm also thinking to myself, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. I mean, hammer, its its eyes were out here on the side. They're just prehistoric looking. And it's flip-flopping around. And this fisherman reaches into his pocket, pulls out a handgun, and just boom, (laughs) shoots it in the head, and then begins to saw the jaws. I'm just like, this is unbelievable. This is the greatest moment of my life. I want to do this. By the way, the movie Jaws had just come out that year, and the, the fact that fish that big were anywhere near, to, and the next day I was out there again, we, we had practice on the beach that day, there were surfers surfing right where they were. I was just like, those guys are nuts. I ended up becoming one of those guys. Uh, just a couple other quick, I've caught myself fishing three times, hooked myself, it's a, it's a wonderful experience, you know, you get this hook in you. I was actually in a little competition with a friend when I hooked myself trying to get a fish off. And so I've got this hook through my finger, and uh, it's got one of those barbs, so you can't just pull it back out, you have to push it through. <laughs> I'm not going to gross you out anymore. But uh, because we're in the competition, I, I said, well, I said, Jim, I, I think I probably ought to go to the doctor to get this. And he goes, the competition's not over for 30 minutes. 
So he made me continue to fish. So I got mad, took a pair of pliers, cut it off, and then continued to fish with a hook in my finger for the rest of the competition. And I lost. Uh, my first date with my wife, we went fishing. She loves to fish. And, uh, we, we, and she actually beat me that day. She caught more fish than I did. She's a very good fisher person. And uh, I, uh, I remember just teasing her as a, we, were, we were in Orlando, Florida, and an alligator swam by while we were fishing. And as the alligator was going by, this is our first date, I said to her, hey, marry me or get out of the boat. And she put her pole down and started to jump in the water. I was like, I was just kidding, you know. Uh, I was like, wow, I haven't really impressed her. <laughs> and she and I have had an ongoing fishing competition. We literally keep track. I was at a Young Life camp one summer. There was a pond, lots of fish. And we were catching fish, and we would keep track. And this was a 30-day period to about the last day, I was ahead. I had 56 fish caught. She was at 54. And I was the speaker that month. And so the last day we were there at camp, I'm speaking, and she went out fishing to beat me. I couldn't fish during that time, and she caught more than I, I was so mad. Uh, last summer, we went up to visit my son at a Young Life camp. And you, you'll hear more about Young Life. It's, it, the camps are like resorts for teenagers. They're incredible. Uh, there's one up in uh, Michigan called Timberwolf, and it has a beautiful pond. And so my wife and I are there visiting my son. He was working there for the summer, and he said, you ought to go fishing. There's, there's a lot of fish in the, in the pond. And I said, okay. So we go down there, and I cast out and just kind of, boom, you know, right away. And I don't know if you get this feeling when you catch a fish, but your heart, just right away, my blood pressure, my heart rate goes up. I pull it in, so a little bass about that big, you know, throw it back, cast again. Another one. We sat out there for 50 minutes. I bet you I caught 50 fish. I mean, every cast you'd catch a fish. Now, it could have been the same fish because they were all about that big. And uh, maybe it was just the fish liked me or something. But it was my best fishing experience ever, though. The Wind River Canyon in Wyoming. I graduated from college in 1979. And my parents, for a graduation gift, I flew out to Wyoming, went to Frontier Days, which is a big, crazy rodeo cowboys and uh, motorcycle bikers and stuff it's it's a crazy combination of people uh, but from there I went up into the Wind River Canyon we got permission to fish on the Shoshone Indian Reservation and uh, I caught some of the most incredible trout and then we hiked up to a, a glacier fed lake above 10,000 feet and I was catching these golden trout that were this big on every cast and we were just swapping out we caught our limit in like five minutes, and we kept swap, swapping out for bigger ones. It was an incredible fish experience. Now you're thinking, why is this guy so into fishing? I don't know why, but I just know this. In, it, with regard to sports and leisure activities, in my opinion, there are a few things better than catching fish. It, it's just wonderful. But I would also contrast it by saying there's not much worse when you uh, go fishing and don't catch fish. It... it, it tries your patience it's frustrating uh it's it's what leads to lying because you'll inevitably run into somebody and say hey how'd you do and i said well i had one on the line that was this big and it just got away at the last minute because you know 
somebody didn't tie my line right or, you know, the, the real bro. You know, it's all, great excuses and all kinds of stuff. And on those bad fishing days, I would come back and I'd, you know, put my gear away and I'd often think to myself, what now? Am I going to subject myself to this torture again? Will I do this again? But usually the memories of the fish, fish that I caught would inspire me to go back. Well, how about you? How about, how about you guys here at Sunrise in Grand Cayman? Any fishing stories uh, that come to your own mind as I talked about this? Uh, I know for people that fish, you almost can go right to the spot, to the time, to the day, to the moment, what you were wearing, how it felt when you might have hooked that giant marlin or caught the great redfish or whatever kind of fish it was. But I don't want to just talk to the people who fish here. I, I want us all. Maybe there's been a time when you had great expectations of something. And I tell you, every time I go fishing, I think I'm going to catch a lot of fish. Every single time I have these great expectations. But have you ever had great expectations? Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a job interview. Maybe it's a, a time with your son or daughter. Uh, and you've come up empty. How, how do you feel during that time? You ever ask yourself, what happened here? You, do you know, uh, I have a friend who's a psychiatrist and he tells me that unmet expectations lead to anger. Unless you deal with unmet expectations in a healthy way, it usually leads towards anger. You know any angry people? I know, I know lots of angry people. And it, you know, if you really get down to it and get to know them and talk with them some, you'll discover that their anger is coming from some unmet expectation, some desire in their life that has been unmet and has left them wanting. How, how do you deal with that kind of disappointment? I, I usually find myself asking the question, what now? If you want to turn to your Bibles, it's on page uh, 776, the Gospel of John, verse 21. You know, John, at one point in his Gospel, and it's, the, the Gospel is just a uh, written testimony, his eyewitnessing of what happened. Uh, a lot of times people will refer to these as Bible stories, which I think somewhat diminishes them because it makes you think of like Grimm's fairy tales and, and things that people made up. This is an eyewitness account. John was there. He refers to himself throughout this entire gospel, all 21 chapters of it, as the disciple whom Jesus loved. He had a pretty good relationship with him, obviously. But... Uh, in, in here, he says the reason that these things are written down so that you who read this might believe. That you might believe. And so, let's keep that in mind as we look at chapter 21. It says, afterwards, Jesus appeared to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. Afterwards, what? After Jesus had been crucified. Last Sunday was Easter Sunday, and you talked about, you're talking about uh, real crosses. Is that the Mark theme? 
real crosses. Well, Jesus died on a real cross. He was a real live human being who was hung on a cross and and died on this cross. Not only was he a human being, but he was also 100% God. Now, my Flagler education and my Fuller Seminary uh, Masters has not helped me to understand that. How someone can be 100% God and 100% human at the same time. But I believe it's true. And the reason I believe it's true is because Jesus didn't stay dead. This is talking about Jesus rising from the dead. After he had risen from the dead, he appeared to his disciples two times. And, and now, they're near the Sea of Tiberias, and it says, it happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called Didymus, Nathaniel from Canaan and Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, James and John, and two other disciples were all together. They just happened to be together, hanging out. They were friends. They had followed Jesus around for three years. And it says uh, that Peter, he makes a statement. He says, I'm going out to fish. See, what happened is Jesus had appeared to him twice. And the words that Jesus used when he appeared to him both those times were, peace be with you. Because they were freaking out. Jesus was dead. They watched him die. Not all of them. John did and, and some women. Most of the other disciples had run off. They were afraid. But they knew he was dead and he was put in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. He was wrapped up in linens like they would bury bodies in that day and they put a stone and a Roman guard in front of this tomb. And three days later, the stone was rolled away, the tomb was empty, and then Jesus appeared to them twice. But apparently he hadn't appeared to them very recently. And so Peter's just kind of wondering, okay, I guess Jesus appeared a couple times and now what? What now? And so he just decides, I'm going to go fishing. I'm going to, you know, go hang out with the guys and fish. And so it says that uh, the other disciples, they said, we'll go with you. They just didn't have anything to do. They didn't know what to do. And uh, it's at that point, so they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing at all. They got skunked. Nothing. Great fishing trip. Great idea, Peter. That's what Thomas, the doubter, is thinking. (laughs) Here we go again. Peter's leading us astray. And so they end up uh, making their way back in at sunrise. It says, early in the morning, this is verse 4, Jesus stood on the shore but the disciples did not recognize, did not realize that it was Jesus. So Jesus is there on the shore waiting for them. And their boat's coming in, but they don't know it's him. And if you've ever been a fisherman and someone's asked you this question, it always gets asked. It says, Jesus called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? The message translation of the Bible says, lads, you know, kind of almost patronizing little boys catch anything and the answer comes back no and then jesus says to him throw your nets on the right side of the boat and you'll find some now i don't mean if he means the correct side or the right hand side 
But he just says, throw your nets over on that side. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because the large number of fish. You can just imagine, those of you who are fishermen, those of you who have had an expectation and all of a sudden it begins to, begins to come to light, your heart rate increases, your adrenaline's flowing, and all of a sudden these fishermen, they throw their net out on the right side of the boat after being out there all night. It's almost an act of obedience. They don't know who this guy is. They don't, he, he doesn't look like a fisherman. If he was a fisherman, he'd have been out with us at night. But he said, and all of a sudden they, they begin to haul the nets in and they look, and it's just the net is filled with fish. I'm telling you, my heart would be racing. I'd be so excited. And it says, then the disciple whom Jesus loved, who's writing this down right now, says, it's the Lord. All of a sudden, they remembered the same large catch of fish earlier when they first met Jesus. They were all fishermen, and Jesus was teaching and they were cleaning their nets and he says put out and uh, you'll you'll have a large catch of fish and that's exactly what happened and then jesus said to him follow me another point in time he says to him uh, uh, i think it's uh, mark's gospel jesus says to the disciples he says follow me now and i'll make you fishers of men you're not going to catch fish anymore Well, now they've gone back to catching fish and they don't catch anything. They're not very good at it. And then Jesus says, go out, throw your... And all of a sudden they have this great catch of fish. And John says, it's the Lord. This is what I love about this story right here. It says, as soon as Peter heard him say it was the Lord, he gets dressed. He was fishing with next to nothing on. And, And he gets dressed... And then jumps in the water and swims to shore. That is just awesome. That's what I love about Peter. It's his unbridled enthusiasm. The adrenaline's pumping. He's just got this lost. And then all of a sudden, it's Jesus again. And he just puts on his clothes and jumps in. (laughs) You ever try to swim with clothes on? It's horrible. It's it's so slow. It it says the boat was only 100 yards offshore. And uh, let me pick it up. It's the Lord. Uh, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped in the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for, there, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire burning. It's a great fireside moment uh, with burning coals there, and fish were on it. Jesus had already caught some fish himself. He probably just called him, hey, fish, come here. <laughs> and he's got him on the fire and some bread. It's just, now it's just this incredible, serene scene. And it says that uh, Jesus says, bring me some of the fish you've just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It says first they couldn't haul it in. Peter's so excited, he brings it in himself, all by himself. And someone took the time, this is awesome, it was full of large fish, 153. Somebody counted, and John remembered it and wrote it down. But even with so many in the net, in the net, it was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, 
and took the bread and gave it to them, and he did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. All right, now, all of a sudden, this scene changes from this serene fireside where they're having breakfast with their master. And it says that, uh, this is verse 15, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John. Now, if you could look back at some point in your Bible in John chapter 1, verse 42, you'll hear and see there that that was Peter's real name, Simon, the son of John. But Jesus changed his name to change his character to Peter, the rock on which I'll build my church. But he's gone back to being a fisherman. And so Jesus addresses him as he really sees himself. Simon, son of John. And he asks him this question. Do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord. You know that I love you. And then Jesus tells him, feed my sheep. What? We just caught 153 fish. What now? We're going to start the Jesus and Disciples charter boat fishing you know, tour. We'll catch more fish. We'll make so much money. We'll become so famous. People will come from all around to watch you call the fish into the net. And, and we'll, we can give it to the poor. And it'll be a great publicity thing. And you can walk on the water and do all the miracles that you do. And hundreds will come to know you. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. Peter's like, I don't get it. And Jesus knew he didn't get it. So he asked him again, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then he said, take care of my sheep. And Peter's just like, what sheep? I'm a fisherman. I, I hate sheep. What, what, what's this about sheep? And then uh, Jesus says a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And at this point, Peter's kind of wore out by it. He's broken. He's hurt. It says, Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And here's what Peter said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And then Jesus says a third time and a final time, feed my sheep. So what about you? You know, this wasn't just intended for Peter. It's really for all of us. This, this word of God is eternal. And it's for us today. For Francois, it was go to Honduras and feed my sheep there. For me, it's feed the sheep of the Caribbean region and start young life clubs and areas on islands. 
for Pastor O, I love to call him that. It's to feed the, the body of Christ here at Sunrise Community. But it's not just for professional ministers. It's for everybody. Peter was a fisherman. And Jesus called him to feed sheep. Now in case you're taking that literally, don't. It's a metaphor. It's to love people. Jesus taught in the Gospel of John. John records it. His new commandment, the way this thing is going to grow, the way this thing is going to take off, my plan is that you would love one another. That's what he said was the new commandment. I think that's something we should pay attention to. When Jesus says something, a new commandment I give you, love one another. So what now? People here at Sunrise Community. What could it be that God is calling you to do? It doesn't have to be anything that I've proposed here. But what I would encourage you to do is to, what now? To find Jesus. Because he's found you. He's just waiting for you like he waited for Peter to answer the question, are you going to love me? And then listen to what I want you to do. For me, when I get so wrapped up into what I'm doing and the world and my family and the crises that are happening all around us all the time, I need to kind of sit down and slow down and be still long enough so that I can open the Bible and hear what God's telling me and then respond in prayer. And often I'll respond with, to begin with, I don't understand. <laughs> I, I'm kind of slow. Lord, help me understand. And, and maybe I'll read some more, or maybe I'll sit quietly a little bit longer, and I'll listen. And I, I've got to tell you, when, uh, when I was younger, I didn't do this very well. I just went out and had a lot of misdirected hustle uh, for the kingdom of God. Kind of like Peter. I would just slash off somebody's ear with a sword. You know, Peter did that in the garden. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Peter slashed off this guy named Malchus's ear. And then Jesus said, put your sword away. And he picked up Malchus's ear and put it back on. Wouldn't that be cool to see that? Malchus was the servant of the high priest who just a few hours later condemned Jesus to death. I wonder what Malchus is like. I wonder if he can hear better out of that ear that Jesus put back on. I wonder if when Jesus prays now, if he can hear it. I wonder what happened to Malchus. Well, anyway, that's a whole other sermon we could give. Here's the practicals, though. Just be here at Sunrise Community on Sundays and in community groups. That's a great way to know in the body what Jesus is calling you to do as a member of the body. And it's not all the same for all of us. Be in God's Word, pray, and then tell somebody about your experience like Francois did today. It was awesome. I want to go to Honduras. It's not even part of my job, but it sounds great. And then finally, I encourage you to love one another. I was two minutes, two minutes longer than I had planned.
It was that Malchus story that got me. Let me pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for uh, being in your word. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us. And, and you do, we already know, you've said it to us, each one of us, feed your sheep. Show us what that means for us in real time today so that we can know and do it. Give us the courage, the inspiration, and the desire to feed your sheep. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.